It's early, and I believe God's got something else yet in store for us in this gathering. I want the Holy Ghost to move in this place tonight. I want a move of the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. I want us to leave here revolutionized by the power of God's Spirit. I want the, the works of the devil and the kingdoms of darkness to suffer as a consequence of what happens in this place tonight. I'd like for us to leave here more powerful in the Spirit than we have ever been before. I would like for us to leave here more effective in the kingdom than we have ever been before. You just came for another service. I hope the Holy Ghost shakes you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And if you came here for a life-changing experience, I'm praying that God does it for you tonight in this place. Praise the Lord. Amen, amen. Now, I want to preach according to the leadership and the direction of the Holy Ghost tonight. I do want to say at the onset that the Scripture tells us not to be offended. Does it not say, Blessed are they that love thy law? And nothing... Look at somebody next to you say, Nothing shall offend them. Some of you didn't say it. Some of you offended already. <laughs> I see a couple of faces out there that are offended already. Offended because you're not supposed to get offended. God bless you. Now that's your scripture. I humbly come to this pulpit understanding the Lord also said that I would be better off to have a millstone hung around my neck and cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. And so it's a fine line that a preacher walks, especially when he preaches those things that he deeply feels. It's a fine line to walk where he preaches with conviction and without compromise and yet does his best not to be offensive. I want you to understand that that's what I'm trying to do tonight. Whether I accomplish that or not, you'll have to be the judge. But we're going to do our best to see the will of God done here the next while. Will you turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 6? Nehemiah, chapter number 6. And I am reading verses 15 and 16. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month of Elul, in fifty and two days. And it came to pass, when all our enemies heard thereof, 
And all the heathen that were about us saw these things. They were much cast down in their own eyes. They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Allow me to read those two verses again and look at them closely. So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month of Elul. In fifty and two days. And it came to pass, when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was wrought of our God. This work was wrought of our God. Now, that's in Old English, the King James Version. Contemporary English would be more like this. God did it. God did it. Their enemies were cast down on their own eyes because they saw it was a work of God. God did it. Everybody say, God did it. Everybody shout, God did it. Come on, let it ring. God did it. Praise God. By the help of the Lord tonight, I want to speak to you on this subject. How the wall was built. How the wall was built. Brother Howard, I'd appreciate you coming to pray the blessing of the Lord on the preaching of his word tonight. Please join me. Lord Jesus, we thank you right now for your blessings, for your presence, for your approval. We ask right now for that special anointing that has rested upon this entire conference to rest one more time upon your servant. I ask for divine direction. Lord, that the word would go forth right down the line exactly the way that you want it to be said, exactly the way you want it presented. Let it go forth with power and anointing. Let it break down every stronghold. Let it pull down every high place. And let the name of God be exalted and glorified in this place tonight. In Jesus' name, let's praise him together right now. Hallelujah. Let's everybody praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. No, you haven't praised Him with your whole heart yet. Come on, let's praise Him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. You may be seated. 
I have known those who think me to be a wistful dreamer. But at the onset of this message tonight, I want to affirm, I believe with all of my heart, I believe with 100% of my being, that we can, in this day we live in, experience apostolic revival. I believe we can. I said, I believe we can. Everybody shout, we can. If you believe it, say, we can. I am convinced we can have apostolic revival. I feel compelled to say tonight that we can. Say, we can. We can have Jerusalem like revival. Revival that cannot be confined to a building. Revival that cannot be confined to the place of appointed worship. But revival that spills out of the house, into the streets, into the byways, from house to house and home to home. I am compelled to say, I believe we can, we can, we can, we can, in the name of Jesus, we can have apostolic Jerusalem-like revival. In the face of every lying devil, in the face of every opposing spirit, in the face of unbelief, I want to declare, I believe we can have a fusion or emphasis like revival in our day. Let it be a story out of the past for you. Let it just be something that's written in the historical chronicles of the Bible if you want to. But I, for one, have chosen to believe in this day which we live. We can, we can, we can have emphasis like revival. Revival that turns a city upside down. Revival that puts the idol makers out of business. Revival that closes the bar rooms. Revival that drives adult entertainment out of the city. Revival that closes down drug trafficking. I believe in our day we can, we can, we can, we can have emphasis like revival. You can relegate it to the past and believe God only had it for days gone by if you want to. But I find no foundation for that in the Scripture. I stand squarely on the promises of God's Word tonight, believing with a hot heart that everything God ever did for His church in the past is available to His church in 1997. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it with me tonight. Hallelujah! Maybe you're satisfied just to grit your teeth and hang on to Jesus comes, but not me. I don't know how long it's going to be before he comes. You may have a stronger opinion about that than I do. But I am going to get everything out of this I can. 
between now and the coming of Jesus Christ. I intend to pray everybody through the Holy Ghost I can. I intend to get everybody saved I can. I intend to preach this gospel to every person that will hear me uh, until Jesus comes. I'm not holding the fort. I am totally, absolutely, 100% convinced that apostolic revival is for us. And we can have it. We can have it. We can have it. We can have it. Come on, shake off that lying spirit of unbelief. We can have it. We can have it. Praise God. Shake somebody's hand before you're seated and say, We can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. You may be seated. about this evaporating or going away. This is going to build up tonight. This is just the beginning point. We're going to build from here. The book of Ezra is a story about the rebuilding of the temple after its devastation by... Babylonian invasion. Ezra is allowed by the king to return to the ruined city of Jerusalem. He, Zerubbabel, 
under the inspiration or through and with the inspiration of the prophets Zechariah and Haggai. The temple is rebuilt. It's a beautiful story of struggle and yet victory. When we come to the book of Nehemiah, it begins with Nehemiah receiving the report of the restoration of the temple. And yet he is saddened greatly because the walls of the city have not been rebuilt. Nehemiah is greatly concerned. As a matter of fact, he's grieved because the walls have not been rebuilt. The, the temple's been rebuilt. Some of the city has been rebuilt after, after its destruction. And yet the walls have not been rebuilt. And Nehemiah is greatly grieved. As a matter of fact, he says it's a reproach because the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt. It is not my message tonight, but I think it's worthy of taking note that not only was it important to Nehemiah that the walls of Jerusalem be rebuilt and that it was not good enough just to have the church, but that the walls of the church and the city had to be rebuilt and restored or the revival was not yet complete. He was grieved to simply have the place of worship but not have the protective walls around about the city. Not only was it important to Nehemiah, but it was important to the enemies of Israel. They were content for the temple to be restored. They were content that a place of worship would exist. But when you got to talking about rebuilding the walls, it disturbed Sanbiah and Tobias. They didn't like the idea of the reconstruction of the walls because they understood that once the walls were rebuilt, that the city of Jerusalem and the temple would no longer be vulnerable. I tell you tonight that it's important to have the walls of protection around about the church. Don't tell me holiness standards are not important. They may not be important to you, but it's important to the devil. The devil fought the rebuilding of those walls more than he fought the rebuilding of the temple. And you may not value the walls, you may not understand their importance, but your enemy understands their importance. And he'll do everything he can to eliminate the walls God has established around his church. God give us Holy Ghost apostolic preachers in this end time who will square their shoulders without fear and favor and establish the boundaries and rebuild the walls God intends for His church. You can be seated. Sanballat and Tobiah 
withstood the rebuilding of those walls. They didn't want them to be rebuilt. And yet the story of Nehemiah is the story of this man receiving authority and permission from the king to return from his place of captivity to Jerusalem with the express purpose and mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah returned. He faced great adversity and trial. He faced opposition. And yet he succeeded in the building of those walls. The Bible says, as I have read in your hearing tonight, that the walls were completed in 52 days. This was not a small, insignificant building project. I want you to know that was a massive project. There were literally tens of miles, dozens of miles of wall that had to be rebuilt. They were massive in their height and in their thickness. It was a huge undertaking. And yet the Scripture tells us that this awesome task was accomplished in 52 days. Seven weeks, if you please. Nehemiah and the people of God completed this building project. Now, I know that there are a number of these men who are on the platform tonight who, like me, have been in numerous building projects. Most of them not nearly the size of that building project. And yet I don't know any of us that got finished in seven weeks or in 52 days. That was a miracle, friend. I'm telling you, it was a miracle that the walls of Jerusalem would be restored, rebuilt, reestablished in 52 days or in seven weeks. You've got to stand back in amazement when you look at such a phenomenon. And the question automatically comes to your mind. You want to cry out, how did you do it? Nehemiah, we want to know the secrets. We want to know how you got this done. Tell us how this came about. Nehemiah would say, I just let the enemies testify to you. They saw what it was. They understood what it was. They declared what it was. It was a work of God. It was a miraculous phenomenon. The enemies declared, God hath wrought it. God did this work. This is not the work of a man's hands. This did not come out of a man's mind. This was not accomplished by a man's talent or a man's ability. But God hath wrought it. God did it. God did it. Everybody shout, God did it. Amen. But Nehemiah, we want you to explain to us some of the things. I must admit, when I studied this uh, particular happening in Israel's history, and I looked at this astounding accomplishment, I wanted to know a few of the secret ingredients that were there in order for this uh, great thing to come to pass. And so I studied out the book of Nehemiah and tried to determine some of the things that were manifest 
upon the part of the people of God to accomplish this thing. Let me name a few of them for you. Each of these traits are worthy of a week-long Bible study. And each of these traits would be a great blessing to any local church congregation and to the body of Christ as a whole. First of all, the people of God under the leadership of Nehemiah had a passion for accomplishment. Don't just sit there like that. You'll make me want to preach on that all night long. I said they had a passion for accomplishment. It wasn't just all right to get the walls built. It wasn't just okay to get this job done. It wasn't, we'll try this and see if it works. There was a burning, flaming passion in their heart that said, this is the will of God. This is the plan of God. This is what God wants. And they had a passion for accomplishment. You may be seated. Not only did they have a passion for accomplishment, they had unity. And as I said, that's worthy of a week-long Bible study. If there is anything that's apostolic, it's unity. That New Testament church was in one place. They were in one accord. The Bible said they were of one heart. It said they were of one soul. If there is any ingredient that's necessary for the accomplishment of the work of God, it's unity on the part of God's people. I said, we got to get together about this. we got to get rid of our envies, our envying, our jealousies, our prejudices, our strife. we got to be unified. You may be seated. I see in them consistency. There was a night crew and a morning crew, a daytime crew. They worked 24 hours, seven days a week. And they didn't get up one morning and decide they were too tired to go to work. They were there in their place, and they were there on time. Every day and every night. I tell you, if we're going to have apostolic revival, we need some people that understand consistency. Not once a week Christians, not people that are here occasionally, not people that come to the house of God and involve themselves when it's convenient, but people that are there day in and day out. Every time the doors open, every prayer meeting, every worship service, every Bible study, every chance there is to knock on doors and do outreach. We need people that get a revelation about the necessity of consistency. You're not going to build an apostolic church nor have an apostolic revival with people that are inconsistent, up and down, flaky, in and out. You've got to have consistency. You may be seated. They had order. It was organized. They were assigned to a particular place of work. They knew where they were to go. They knew who their leader was. They followed leadership. They did it in an orderly fashion. All of these things are desirable traits. They had a passion for accomplishment. They had unity. They had consistency. They had order. And yet, at the conclusion of it all, none of those things 
were given credit for the reason of the miracle. When the conclusion was announced, the announcement simply was, God did it. How did this thing happen? How did these walls get built in 52 days? How did this thing come to pass in seven weeks? How did this miracle happen? God did it. I don't feel like I can say that enough tonight. I want to drive that stake deep into somebody's heart. I want it to ring in your ears when you march out of here tonight, when you wake up in the morning and go about your labor in your particular field of labor. I want you to hear these words. God did it. God did it. God did it. God did it. You need a revelation about it. God did it. You need a conviction about it. God did it. Please be seated. I don't understand why there's such resistance to that. I'm beginning to understand more, Brother Enzi, because if there's another way to do it, then getting God to do it, you don't have to completely comply with God's requirements. If you can find another way to do it, Without God doing it, maybe you can bypass the fasting. If there's another way to do it, maybe you can get around the prayer meetings. Where did my shouters go now? You can find another way to get it done. Maybe you don't have to do the things that you have to do to make room for God to work. Maybe there won't have to be so much old-fashioned repentance, old-fashioned house cleaning, old-fashioned heart cleaning. And I'm here to preach to you tonight. We're not going to get our work for God done any differently than Nehemiah got his done. God's got to do this thing. This is a spiritual work. This is the work of God. It's not man's work. It's God's work. We're not going to build our churches and have revival any other way. God has to do this work. There is a resistance to that. Please be seated. Maybe you don't have to be spiritually minded. You can find another way to do it. Do you hear me? We're not going to get it done any other way than Zerubbabel got the temple built. Zechariah said to him in an hour of discouragement, he said, don't be discouraged. It's going to be done. But he said, while it gets done, I want you to understand how it's getting done. 
It's not your talent, your ingenuity, your know-how, your tricks. It's not what you have learned or what you can do. He said, it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You can try to fuel this thing on something else if you want to, but this thing doesn't run on anything but Holy Ghost. God's the one that does this work. This is a spiritual work. You can be seated. The Apostle Paul made it clear. He talked to the Corinthian church after he had visited them initially. And if there ever was a man who could have impressed them with his knowledge and his wisdom and his ability to speak various and diverse languages, the Apostle Paul could have done so. But he didn't go into Corinth to amaze them with his knowledge and his intellect and his learning and his education. He didn't come to them playing tricks. He said, I came to know nothing among you. I, I just made myself illiterate except for the knowledge of the cross. I came to preach to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And we establish this church on the demonstration and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's how a New Testament church was built. Yet, there seems to be resistance to that. There seems to be attempt to get around that. There seems to be attempts to minimize that. Friend, we don't need to minimize that. We need to make that clear. If there's anything our people need to understand, if there's anything us preachers need deep in our hearts, it takes a work of the Holy God of Heaven to do what we're trying to do. God has to do this work. I know how some of us would have been. Are you folks still with me? Some of us. We'd have, we'd have won lessons on how to hold a trial. Boy, anybody can build a wall that fast. I don't know how they trial on that mud. Show me how to do that. How did you mix that mud? How did you get that to dry that fast? Show me that formula. Me watch you mix that mud up. Let me try that. You hold it this way and trial up like this? Or do you hold it like this and bring it down? You can build a wall in seven weeks, 52 days. I want to know how you do it. Show me how it's done. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. And I'm still trying to stay polite. I feel this deep in my heart. I'm telling you, if we're not careful, our enemy will misdirect us. He'll use magic on us. Some of you have seen magicians. They really can't perform magic. All it is is misdirection. They get your eye looking over here while they're doing something else over here. If we are not careful, our enemy will misdirect our attention. 
and get our eyes off of the thing they ought to be focused on. I'm telling you, to have apostolic revival, we got to keep our attention on having a move of the Holy Ghost. Nothing to take its place. There is no substitute. There is no shortcut. There is no other way. There's nothing else that works. God has to do this thing. If you believe that, clap your hands and shout unto the Lord. somebody's hand and say we got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. Take somebody else's hand and say what we need is a move of the Holy Ghost. Tell somebody else what we need is a Jerusalem-like move of the Holy Ghost. Tell somebody else what we need is an Ephesus-like move of the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. We don't need another manual. We don't need another program. We need a move of the Holy Ghost. You can be seated. See, when God's people understand that and when the devil sees what's happening, it's discouraging to him. I said it's discouraging to the devil when he figures out the way we're doing this is making room for God to work. And that it's not really us that's doing it, but that God is doing it. That's discouraging to the devil. The enemy stood back and they saw that wall that it was built. And they saw that miracle and saw that it was God that did it. And their eyes were cast down. They said, oh, no. Oh, no. This is God. If it's just Nehemiah, we can get to him. If it was just their intelligence, we, we could trick them. If they just learned how to build that wall, we could sidetrack them. We could deceive them. We could discourage them. But they wouldn't let God do it. We can't stop God. got that revelation. A bunch of Pentecostals need that revelation. Get out of the way. Get the Holy Ghost a moving. Uh, and there's no devil that fell out of God's heaven that's big enough to stop what's happening. 
You can be seated. If I were the devil, I'd do everything I could to keep you trying to carry on the work of God in the arm of flesh. If I was a devil and I was a smart devil, and the devil is a smart devil, I'd do everything I could to get you to build your church using human ingenuity. Because if you'd build your church that way, I could stop it. But if you get God to build your church, I'm in trouble. I'd try to get you sold on every program I could get you sold on. I'd try to get you sold on every technique I could get you sold on. Because if I could get you to build your church that way, one day I'd just jump right in the big middle of it and tear your party up. And it would go in a thousand different directions. But if you're wise enough to pray, to walk with God, to seek His face, to follow His Spirit, and let God do the work, I'm telling you, the devil can't stop it! Amen. I'll try to get you to build your church and be seated on the arm of flesh. Human ideas, man-made programs, ideas concocted in man's mind. One of the ways I'd do that is I'd try to make you skeptical of everything that is supernatural. Because God's supernatural. Did you understand that? God is supernatural. I said He's above nature. He walks on water. Gravity doesn't hold Him. He just floats off of the mountainside. God is supernatural. Much of the time you can tell whether it's God or not, if it's supernatural. But if I didn't want you to get God into the building program of your church, you can be seated. I'm not talking about the literal building program. I'd try to make you skeptical of everything that's supernatural. Because if I could get you skeptical, fearful, full of doubt about the supernatural... That means God wouldn't be welcome in your program. Tongue talking is supernatural. God still gives me an utterance to speak in other tongues. 
You can be seated. Divine healing is supernatural. I said God can fix it when the doctor can't. You can be seated. Tongues and interpretation of tongues is a gift or gifts of the Spirit of God. Now, hardly anybody stood up on that one. Let me go back to divine healing. You're like you got springs on your seat when I talk about that.
didn't try to build your church, preacher, without the gifts of the Spirit. Go ahead and try to build your church on what you know. Think you're smart enough you don't ever need divine input in the situation. Think you know enough you don't need God to speak out sometime when you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do. What you're doing is building your church on the arm of flesh. But I'll tell you what, you got to make room for God in this picture. You've got to make room for Him to speak out. You've got to make room for Him to do His will, His work. You may be seated. You try to build your church without prophecy. I don't believe in prophecy. Well, then just rip the New Testament out of your Bible. Rip the Old Testament out of your Bible. Show me some place. Show me some place where God discontinued the office of the prophet in the New Testament or after the New Testament. And furthermore, the gift of the spirit of prophecy is not necessarily confined to those who hold the office of the prophet. And I can prove that to you from the scripture. I said somebody can prophesy that's not even a prophet. Say, well, I don't know about all that stuff. I'm skeptical about that. Ha, 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 the devil's laughing at you. He's got you right where you want it. You're building your church, keeping God blocked out of the picture. You're looking at one preacher that doesn't think he knows enough to do it by himself. I need God to speak out once in a while. I need God to say something that I don't know to say. I need God to have some input into the situation. I need divine interruption. Build it yourself if you want to. But oh, help us to understand. We need God to do this work. This is the work of God. The church is a spiritual work. Amen, amen, amen. No, stand back up a minute. I've been telling you to sit down. Stand up a minute. Shake somebody's hand and say, God's got to do this work. Those that say they don't need tongues, interpretation of tongues, don't need prophesying, you might as well go to Church of Christ. That's what they teach. They say that that is perfect has already come. But I haven't seen much perfection around here yet. I'm still looking for the perfect one and the perfect kingdom. And it shall come, and then we won't be squinting through this glass trying to figure things out and, and just getting a little glimpse once in a while. Then we won't need it, but until He comes, we need every gift of the Spirit to be flowing freely in the church. We have got to have it. I said we have got to have it. We have got to have it! You're not going to have revival without God working in your midst. You may be seated. The apostle 
wrote to the Galatians in the third chapter, he called them fools. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Who tricked you up? Who fooled you? Who convinced you that what you started out in the Spirit, you could finish up in the flesh? Said, oh, he was talking about living for God. Sure he was. But the same principle applies to the work of God. The work of the church. This thing was born in the fire. It was born in the Spirit. It was born of the Spirit. You're not going to carry this thing on in the flesh. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, I don't want you to quit shouting. Please don't quit shouting. But I want you to hear what I'm going to say. If you're going to quit shouting, I won't tell you this part. God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's a lot to be said about the heavens. The heavens are more than just the stars you see twinkle out there in the night. In the Lord's Prayer, some translations, most, as a matter of fact, read this way. Our Father, which art in the heavens. We know there was at least three because the Apostle Paul was caught up into the third heaven. There are a multiplicity of heavens. There's not just one heaven. But in the heavens, there are spiritual laws that operate. In the beginning, He created the heavens, and He created the earth. And when He created the earth, He put natural laws into effect. And they work here in the earth. Spiritual laws, heavenly laws, and natural laws. Now, the earth is the natural habitat of the flesh. And so the flesh is more comfortable with the laws of nature than it is the laws of the Spirit. As a matter of fact, the flesh cannot even comprehend the laws of the Spirit. The only way you'll ever discern the things of the Spirit is by the Spirit. A lot can be accomplished with the laws of the earth. Natural laws. Laws of cause and effect. Laws that you can do certain things and get certain results. It just works that way. You can get a lot of things accomplished. This building was built using the laws of engineering, mathematics, calculus, physics. These microphones are transmitting sound by the laws of nature. A lot can be accomplished, are you listening to me? By using natural laws. You can get a lot of things done that way. 
Amen. And anybody can do it. You don't have to have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to pray. You don't have to walk with God. And you can get a lot of things done using the laws of this earth. When I got on that airplane and flew over here, I didn't stop by the cockpit and say, I want to meet the pilot. I didn't say, Mr. Pilot, do you have the Holy Ghost? Did you talk in tongues today? Is your heart clean and right before God? To be honest with you, it didn't matter to me. Not at that minute. It didn't matter. I hope he gets saved sometime. But when it come takeoff time, I didn't care whether he was a tongue talker. I wanted to know if he understood the laws of nature that would cause that plane to get off of the ground and float through the air and come back down again at the right time. And he did it. And as far as I know, he wasn't baptized in Jesus' name. As far as I know, he's not an apostolic. As far as I know, he doesn't pray. And yet, he knew how to use the laws of nature to get me from California to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You can do some things using the laws of nature. And you don't have to be spiritual to do it. That's why I wonder if some are not trying to build their churches using those principles. But let me tell you something about a church that is built using... The laws of nature. Number one, the devil can stop it. I said, the devil can tell, tear the party up. In one week's time, he can jump in the big middle of it with a spirit of immorality and the place be splintered into a thousand pieces. Amen. But then there are spiritual laws. The laws of the heavens. Let me tell you something neat. Earthly laws never preempt spiritual laws. But spiritual laws can preempt earthly laws. Spiritual laws can veto the laws of nature. That's what happens when the doctor says you're going to die and you walk down to the front of that pulpit and that preacher puts that little bit of oil on your head and prays in Jesus' name and faith and the cancer's cured up. 
and you go back to the doctor, well, what happened? The spiritual law vetoed the laws of nature. The doctor said you were going to die, but the law of the heavens said, no, you're going to live. I veto that disease. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. The New Testament church was and is intended by God to be built and carried on by the Holy Ghost. Laws of the Spirit. Spiritual precepts. Spiritual principles. Spiritual concepts. Amen. And the Holy Ghost resides in the world of the supernatural. Let me tell you something about a church that's built by the Spirit, not on the arm of flesh, not according to the laws of nature, but a church that is built by the Spirit. I mean a tongue-talking church. I mean a praying church. I mean a shouting church. I mean a church that forsakes the world. I mean a church that lets the Holy Ghost work. I mean a church that makes welcome the presence and the Spirit of God. The devil can't stop that church. And there's no limit to its potential. I don't have time to preach everything tonight. But I'll tell you, a Holy Ghost church, there's no limit to its potential. Do you hear me, preachers? Don't think I'm crazy. But a thousand is not a big thing to the Holy Ghost. Two thousand is not a big thing to the Holy Ghost. Well, I'm impressed with that Baptist church of ten thousand. Oh, I'm not impressed one second. Ten thousands is nothing for the Holy Ghost. That's nothing for the Holy Ghost. That's pretty big if you're going to work down here using earthly principles. That's a pretty. Uh, that's just about the limit. But you get the Holy Ghost working, you can have a Jerusalem revival where you can't count them. After a while, you just have to say multitudes got saved. Say, I don't believe that stuff. You don't believe the New Testament. Read it, read it, read it, read it. After a while, the revival got so big they couldn't even number it. It got beyond the 3,000 stage. It got beyond the 5,000 stage. Finally, they had to say, multitudes were added. No limit on a Holy Ghost church. I'm losing some of you. Oklahoma's going to have some thousand churches of a thousand. Some of you don't like it. Some of you said it can't be. Some of you said it's not going to happen. I'm telling you, Oklahoma's going to have some churches of 2,000. Some of you have prophesied it'll never come to pass. I'm prophesying it will happen. We'll see who's the true prophet.
You want to tell me that it won't happen? Come on here that tonight. When I get finished preaching, and we'll write it both down. You prophesy it doesn't, not going to happen, and I'll write it down that it's going to happen. Be seated. We got a lot of churches, a lot of men. You know, let me stop and say here. A lot of times, good intentions, righteous burdens, men that are trying to do good things and right things get misdirected. Good men are misled. And the thinking that it can be done a way that is not God's way. And the devil capitalizes on their desire for growth and progress. Amen. So not always men and churches who intend to to err. They do not intend to get off the track, miss the boat, fall short. They're trying, but they are directed down a wrong course. I'm trying to direct somebody back to the Holy Ghost trail tonight. Many churches are built using earthly principles. They're vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. And they are limited in their potential. If you want an IBM corporation type church, get somebody. From IBM to come and tell you how they built their corporation. And do it like they say do it. And you'll have an IBM-like church. Is that simple enough? I'm not trying to be sarcastic. If you want a Baptist-like church, find you somebody that built the biggest Baptist church. Get them to come tell you how you did it and do it just like they did it. If you want a Methodist church, find a Methodist man. But if you want an apostolic church, get your New Testament out. Said if you want an apostolic church, open up the book of Acts. How did it happen? God did it. They prayed. They fasted. They made room for the Holy Ghost. They worshipped. 
They let God work. God did it. God did it. God did it. They had a move of the Holy Ghost in the church house, in the streets, on the street corners. Come on, clap your hands if you believe it. Come on, praise God. Are y'all going to stay with me a little bit longer here? We're headed towards a Holy Ghost explosion in this place. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. In the New Testament church, hear me now. Emphasis was not on organization. Judge me. It's the Word of God that said, let one prophesy and the others judge. Believe me, they'll do it. They'll take their job seriously. Emphasis in the New Testament was not on organization. I believe in organization. We got to have some way to know them that labor amongst us. We've got to have some way to determine if somebody is doctrinally and morally pure. We must have it. But friend, in the New Testament church, organization was not the emphasis. I challenge you to go home and take your Bible out. Oh, I'm going upstream now. Emphasis was not on structure in the New Testament church. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. It was not on structure. The emphasis was not on promotion. I'm just preaching to you about the way it was in the New Testament. The emphasis was not on organization. It was not on structure. It was not on promotion. It was not on programs. As a matter of fact, you're hard-pressed. You're hard-pressed in the study of the book of Acts and the New Testament to even find out what kind of organization they had and what their structure was really like. Outside of the local church, it's hard to find. And even in the local church, it is not emphasized, it's minimized. Boy, I lost the showers. Oh, Brother Keys, they've been telling me tune up this and fix this and get this and do that. Here, read this and here's another manual. Here's another idea. Here's another computer program. Do this. Get it all together now. Come on, this is how you grow. 
just telling you the emphasis was not on those things in the New Testament. In fact, you can't hardly find out very much about their organization, their structure, their promotional program. You can't find anything out about it. You sponsored with me? Brother Winfrey all over there nodding, but he's hiding behind Brother Morgan. If I understand that New Testament right, now get ready to swallow a big one here. If I understand that New Testament right, it's not more the better. The less, the better. The more you fill the church up with all of that, the less room there is for Holy Ghost. The less of that you can get by with, the more room you got for Holy Ghost. Go ahead and be seated. I get calls from all over the country. I get embarrassed. I get embarrassed. Absolutely embarrassed. I get calls from men who really know how to do stuff. And they call me and say, sit down, please. They call me and they say, I want to fly out there. See what you're doing. I'm embarrassed. I want to fly out there. And this is the term they use. And see your operation. Can I tell you folks something? Now, I, I probably need to do it, but I'm not going to do it until I have to. We don't even have a nursery. I don't like nurseries. I never like nurseries. Somebody told me the other day, you can't build a church. I have a nursery just right. You've got to get everything fixed in your nursery. I don't want a nursery. If I can have a church of 10,000 not have a nursery, I'm not going to have a nursery. I don't want a nursery. Oh, but so-and-so said you can't build a church without a nursery. I'll tell you what. If I can get by without it, I'm going to. Because I want every one of those mothers in there talking in tongues. The more structure you build, the more you take away. If I understand that New Testament right, they got by with as little structure, organizational programs as they possibly could. And they got all the Holy Ghost moving they possibly could. And they turned this world upside down with this gospel. Don't get confused, young preacher. Learn everything you can learn that'll help you. But friend, let your emphasis be, I've got to be full of the Holy Ghost. I've got to be led by God's Spirit. I've got to speak as God speaks. I've got to know the mind of God. I've got to follow the will of God. You can be seated. I'm down to my last page of notes. 
Jesus and the apostles' doctrine and position on the Holy Ghost baptism was different from ours. We have a defensive doctrinal position about the Holy Ghost baptism. And the reason is because there's so many people out there telling folks they can be saved without having the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. And so, it has created, or we haven't allowed it to create for us, a defensive position concerning our preaching of the Holy Ghost baptism. Most of the time, when we preach about the Holy Ghost, that you've got to have it to be saved. Because there's so many people out there saying, you can be saved without the Holy Ghost. And so we have spent our time sharpening our swords, preparing ourselves to preach a message without loophole, proving the necessity of the Holy Ghost baptism. And that's the position from whence we preach most of the time about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But to Jesus, the apostles, and the members of the early church, it was a foregone conclusion that every Christian would have the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. It wasn't an arguable issue whether or not you've got the time about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But to Jesus, the apostles, and the members of the early church, it was a foregone conclusion that every Christian would have the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. It wasn't an arguable issue whether or not you got the Holy Ghost when you believed. All believers have the Holy Ghost in the New Testament. They preached. Jesus and his apostles likewise preached the Holy Ghost baptism as empowerment. We got a whole bunch of Pentecostals that say, thank God I got the Holy Ghost, I'm saved. But Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there, and you're going to be endued with power from on high. That's how he predicted the Holy Ghost baptism. He said, after that the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power. The New Testament church didn't see the Holy Ghost baptism as just something that tickled their insides when they came to an electrically charged ark convention. They didn't view the Holy Ghost as just something that kept them out of the devil's hell. They viewed the Holy Ghost baptism as a divine empowerment. To reach an unsaved world with this gospel. 
when they got the Holy Ghost, they perceived themselves as people who had been divinely, miraculously equipped to evangelize this world with the gospel. That's what they believed the Holy Ghost was. That's what they believed the Holy Ghost was. And you're looking at a preacher tonight that believes that's what it is. I don't believe you're saved without the Holy Ghost. I just don't. But I believe the Holy Ghost is more than just talking in tongues and getting you out of hell. I believe you have within you empowerment of the Spirit of God to say what you need to say when you need to say it, to know where you ought to go when you need to go there to be led of the Spirit. I believe when you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got supernatural empowerment to reach the unsaved with this gospel. I'm about to get stirred up now. You say, oh, not me. Please be seated. Not me. I'm just a a little old oaky, oaky boy. I don't know anything. I'm poor. I don't have a great education. I'm a nothing and I'm a nobody. Go ahead. You're reciting the devil's line right down to the letter. Amen. I want you to know, sir, you got the Holy Ghost talking in tongues. When you've got the Holy Ghost talking in tongues, you've got a holy anointing of God upon your life. God will lead you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you words. He'll put you in the right place at the right time. He'll use you any way you'll let Him use you. You've got empowerment of God. Yes! Hallelujah, hallelujah. You can be seated. We had an Indian man come in and get the Holy Ghost in our revival about five weeks ago. You can be seated. It wasn't you. Brother Godwin, one of them that got the Holy Ghost, I know Wednesday night when we weren't there, he won. How many had he won to God in that five weeks before that? Over 20. No Bible school training. No Bible study chart. What again? He got the Holy Ghost. He got the Holy Ghost. When he got the Holy Ghost, we told him, You've got the power in you now to be a flaming evangel of truth. God's going to use you everywhere you go. God's going to direct your steps. God's going to put you in the right place at the right time. And he's already won 21 to God in five weeks' time. Now fit that into a program, if you will. Put that into some kind of program. You can't do it, friend. That's New Testament stuff. That's the way God intended for His church to be built. Come on, clap your hands. Some of you so entrenched in your traditional ways of doing things. 
so trapped, so ensnared, it's going to take a miracle of the Holy Ghost to cause you to break out. Be seated. Hallelujah. Praise God. He called almost Shatalabahataya. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. The apostles believed that the Holy Ghost was an empowerment to lead them and direct their lives. Emphasis was not on programs. Emphasis was not on promotion and organization and structure. Emphasis was on Holy Ghost leadership. Emphasis was on the work of the Holy Ghost through the lives of God's people. That's where the emphasis was. And I'm telling you, you can't find anything that efficient. You can't find anything that's that efficient. You can't create a program that's that efficient. Now, I think it would be great if you pastors went home and got people stirred up and said, we're going to go out and knock on a hundred doors today. And they went out and knocked on a hundred doors. I think it would be good. You might and you might not find a hungry soul. Good program. But you might or you might not find somebody that wants God. But you could be Ananias who walks with God and God shakes him. Ananias, this is the street I want you to go to. This is the man's house I want you to go to. His name is Judas. The name is the street is straight. The man's house, the man who owns the house is named Judas. And the name of the man I want you to talk to is Saul. I'm losing you. And when you find him, this is what I want you to tell him. And this is what's going to happen. Well, that was Paul, yeah. Paul had some pretty supernatural equipment. It's called the Holy Ghost. I feel a holy anger coming over me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I am so angry the devil's cheated us out of the revelation of what we got when we got the Holy Ghost baptism. I'd like to preach that out of your mind tonight. I would, God would give me anointing. I, I could preach it right out of your mind and could preach revelation into your heart about what you really got when you talked in tongues that gave, was born of the Spirit. I'm telling you, you got godly wisdom. You got Holy Ghost wisdom. You got empowerment of the Spirit. We have what it takes to turn our world upside down. We don't have to 
go looking for it somewhere else. We don't have to ask somebody to come tell us how to do it. We got it right here. circles trying to find answers and we've got it right here it's in you it's in you it's in you tap your hands to the Lord right now Come on, shake somebody's hand and say, I can win people to God. I've got the Holy Ghost. Come on, shake somebody else's hand and say, I can be a soul winner. I've got the Holy Ghost. Come on, preacher, shake a preacher's hand and say, we can turn our city upside down. I've got the Holy Ghost. 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 i got supernatural wisdom. I got the Holy Ghost. I just gotta let it work. I gotta get it working in my life. I gotta get it flowing in my life. We can have that Masonic revival. We got the Holy Ghost. We've got it. We've got it. We've got it. We've got it. Quit trying to find answers. Get the Holy Ghost working. Quit trying to look for some mystical solution. Get on your face somewhere until you get in touch with God. And God begins to direct your steps and put words in your mouth. Shake somebody's hand and say, we can't have apostolic revival. We have the Holy Ghost. We need to get emphasis back on the Holy Ghost. We need to get the Holy Ghost working. We need to get the Holy Ghost moving. We need to let the Holy Ghost do what He wants to do. We need to let the Holy Ghost heal. We need to let the Holy Ghost deliver. We need to let the Holy Ghost lead. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. God did it. God did it. God did it. Come on, I feel like God's about to break in on us. I feel like God's about to break in on us here tonight. God's ready to give Oklahoma a move of the Holy Ghost like you have never seen before. God's standing on His tiptoes to prove to you the reality of the power of His Spirit and what He'll do if you'll just let Him. I said, God's wanting to prove to Oklahoma what he'll do if you let him. Who's going to let him? Who'll let him?
Clap your hands to the Lord again. Come on, everybody, clap your hands. Devil, we got the Holy Ghost. And we're about to understand what we got. I said we're about to get a revelation of what we got. We don't need a whole lot else. We just need to let the Holy Ghost do what it wants to do for our lives. We need to let it lead us, direct us. Brethren, you may not be educated enough, polished enough, clever enough to successfully utilize the popular methods of contemporary Christianity. But I'm here to tell you, you don't have to be to have apostolic revival. I said you don't have to be especially polished and educated and clever and full of charisma. I'm telling you the Holy Ghost in you is everything you need to build that church in your city. <laughs> 